Joshua chapter 14, it says, These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. And they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenesite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. We enter into that section of the book of Joshua where the children of Israel are going to be given their inheritance. And we've talked a lot about inheritance. Remember, the first five chapters talked about their entrance into the land. And then in chapters 6 through 12, we talked about conquering the land. And now between chapters 13 and 24, we're going to be talking about dividing the land. And in this particular chapter, we are going to see the amazing unfolding of the faith of Caleb, who was one of the two spies who came back with a great report and one of the 12 original Israeli reconnaissance members who went into the land to spy out the land so that they could occupy the land. And so it begins with the time of inheritance in verses 1 through 5. Look what it says. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. So we get a clue of how the inheritance took place. 
Eleazar is the high priest. Joshua is the leader of the people. The heads of the tribe have come together. We're going to need the map up that I, that I talked about, James. Um, when, remember, we talked about how on the eastern side of the Jordan River, you get the two and a half tribes, Manasseh, Reuben, Gad, on the east side of the River Jordan from where the Sea of Galilee is. And you, in this map, you see the division of the promised land and how the tribes are going to be given their, allot, their allotments. Now, their inheritance was by lot, which means it would appear that they used what was called the Urim and the Tumim. These were special gems, if you will, that were used to cast lots in order to determine which part of the land that the various tribes were going to be occupying. Now, it wasn't just simply this lot, but also the size of the tribe that would determine the amount of land that they would be given. And so the instruction was given by Moses is found in Numbers chapter 34, verses 13 through 29. There he talks about when you come to this point, there's going to be a series of events that are going to unfold, and we're going to tell you exactly who that's going to include and what that's going to include. So it included Eleazar the high priest, Joshua um, as the leader, and then the representatives from each tribe. The lot was cast in order to determine God's will for the specific territory that the tribes were to occupy. For Moses, it says in verse 3, had given the inheritance of the two and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. In Joshua, it's mentioned four times that the Levites would receive no inheritance in the land. That's in Joshua chapter 13, verse 14. Chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. And then again, it'll be repeated in chapter 18, verse 7. You'll remember that the Levites don't inherit a land as much as they inherit the Lord himself. And so the Levites are going to be scattered from the very north to the very south to the east and the west, the Levites are going to function throughout the land. And of course, the Lord told them that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. So the priests and their families were given portions of the sacrifices. Both the priests and the Levites would receive special tithes. They would receive special offerings. The people were commanded to bring sacrifices. The children of Levi, the priests and the workers, would be the beneficiaries of these things. And it's been suggested that since the priests and the Levites were wholly devoted to the Lord, they didn't need to be bogged down, encumbered by tribal, political, or governance issues. And so the priests and the Levites were to be salt and light throughout the land. And um, in verse 4 it says, For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, you'll remember that Joseph was highly favored. He was a person who experienced great trial, great tribulation, great imprisonment. He was dealt with ruthlessly by his family. God sent him into Egypt so that he could be the savior, not only of his people, Israel, during a, a time of dark famine, but also the people of Egypt. You'll remember that Jacob leaves his place, goes to Egypt, and Manasseh and Ephraim are born of Joseph in the land of Egypt. And so Jacob gives Manasseh and Ephraim a double portion, if you will. Joseph, a double portion. And the, his children that were 
conceived in captivity, he treats as his own. And you'll remember it says, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land, except cities to dwell in and their common lands for their livestock and their property. It would be inappropriate to think that the Levites had no place to live, that they had no homes that they could go to, that they had no livestock that they could tend or property. They just didn't have a tribal allotment. And so in verse 5, it says, as the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. So in obedience and submission, Now the inheritance is going to take place. And it begins again with the commitment of faith in verse 6. It says, then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. Remember, there are more than 12 tribes, but there's only 12 allotments. And this is the reason why. Judah is the largest tribe. And Judah is going to be the first tribe that's going to be given their inheritance. We'll put the map back up. So the children of Judah come to Joshua in Gilgal. Well, who else is there? Well, Eleazar the high priest, and also the rest of the representatives. And it says, And Caleb, the son of Jepuna, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me, in Kadesh Barnea. Caleb belonged to the tribe of Judah. Caleb, being one of the successful spies, if you will, and the person who wholly, completely, fully loved the Lord, followed the Lord, served the Lord, the tribe of Judah is going to be given first, if you will, in the tribal allotment. Now, again, you'll recall that both Joshua and Caleb were the only two who brought a a good report concerning the land. Caleb would be the first to receive the reward in the land. Joshua is going to be the last person who's going to receive the reward in the land in Joshua chapter 19, verses 49 through 51. The general location was to be by lot, but the size of the territory was to be determined by the size of the tribe. And to the right, you see the occupation of the Philistines, and you also see the occupation of Judah. And you'll see Benjamin just a little bit to the north. And you'll see an area that's allotted to Simeon. Now, again, the thing that makes this important is the men of Judah are going to provide the the front guard, if you will. They're going to be the, 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 the tip of the spear as they penetrated the land. And the men of Judah had armies that, according to the Bible, numbered some 76,000 soldiers. So Caleb is this remarkable character. The emphasis is now going to shift from Joshua to Caleb. Now we often take singular characteristics of notable Bible characters. We think about Moses as being meek. We think about Abraham as the man who separates himself from the world. We think about David as the man after God's own heart. Joseph, the man who is pure. John, the apostle of love. Peter, the apostle of zeal. If we were to take a singular characteristic And ascribe it to Caleb, I would pick faith. We would certainly offer commitment as a guiding passion of his. But again, I'm going to suggest to you that it's faith. And it begins with the claim of faith in verse 6. When he says, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses. The man of God concerning you and me and Kadesh Barnea. What does that mean? Caleb is now speaking to Joshua and he said, do you remember 45 years ago when we were much younger men? When Moses spoke to us concerning the word of God? And by the way, Caleb is appealing to the word of God spoken by Moses to them. This is the claim of faith. 
faith's claims are always based on God's word and God's promise. Now you have to understand something because we live in a culture and an age where people seem to think that faith is some fuzzy feeling that you have in the pit of your stomach or chill bumps up and down your spine or weird visions or, or visions that you see disconnected from God or disconnected from Christ or disconnected from the word of God. Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith's claims are always based on God's word and God's promise. Now, again, this is going to be important for you. It's important for you because it's inappropriate for you to claim promises that don't belong to you or that have never been given to you. But Caleb does exactly that. He says, do you remember 45 years ago, God spoke to Moses and then he spoke to us. The claim of faith is always found in the office of God's promises. The thing that the Lord said concerning me is ever the language of faith. You have every right to be able to say, what is it that God has promised me? You know, when I was reading this, I kept I couldn't help but think of the gold and the silver fields of California and Colorado. While I was laid up these past several weeks, I watched, of all things, Ken Burns' documentary on the West. And on the West, there's a significant portion where they talk about the gold rush in California. And they talk about the gold rush in, in Colorado. And you'll remember that in the gold rush, in order to participate in the claims, you had to go there. You had to stake a claim. And then you had to work the claim. And so for Caleb, he's reminding them, guess what? You remember who we were and what we did. In verse 7, look at it says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Caleb says, do you remember when we first did this? When God spoke to us, and you asked me to do something. I believed God then, and I believe God now. God gave us a promise, and I believed the promise right from the beginning. And then in it's the consecration of faith in verse 8, look what it says. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. In what sense? Remember, Joshua goes with him. And then ten other people go with him. They make the heart of the people melt because they go to this place called Ebron. They go to this place called Kiryat Arba. They go to this place and they see Anakim, giants. And they are terrified. And remember, 10 of the 12 brought back a report saying, you know what Moses said about entering the land? Well, there are people who are there and they want to stay there. And they're big and they're bad and they're tough, and they don't want to leave. As a matter of fact, part of their report seems to indicate that these giants were so large that nothing could stand against them. And so we might as well give up, go home, and pretend like it never happened. And look what Joshua, or look what Caleb says. The consecration of faith. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. I want to draw attention to that word, wholly followed the Lord my God. In Exodus chapter 28, 41, it reads, So you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on, the, on his sons with him. You shall anoint them. 
consecrate them, sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. He's talking about how to equip the high priest's sons. Exodus 29.9. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons. Put hats on them. The priesthood will be theirs for a perpetual statute. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. The word translated consecrate in Exodus 28.41. The word translated consecrate in Exodus 29.9 is the same word translated here in verse 8. Holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. It's translated elsewhere, consecrate, but what it means is to fully, fundamentally, totally, completely dedicate something to something. And so Caleb is using this as a description to say, you know what? I love the Lord. I've always loved the Lord. I wanted to obey him, submit to him, and serve him. Caleb's wholehearted devotion to the Lord is described in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 36. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 11. And here, it says in verse 8, holy followed the Lord. Verse 9, holy followed the Lord. Verse 14, holy Followed the Lord. You probably know people who followed the Lord half heartedly. You follow the Lord if it's convenient. You follow the Lord if it's not terrifying or difficult. You follow the Lord if it's convenient. The contrast is between my brethren, the other spies, that made the heart of the people melt with fear versus the giants that could be conquered. And so Caleb is basically saying, I believed God in the beginning and I believe God now. Caleb was faithful He was faithful then, and guess what? Even in his faithfulness, remember, both he and Joshua are going to have to return to the wilderness. They're going to have to live out a generation of people who are unfaithful and unbelieving. And many of you are going to start in the Lord, but you're not going to continue in the Lord, and you're not going to finish in the Lord. Caleb has to listen to the gripes and the complaints. Caleb has to go back into the wilderness. Caleb has to listen as people complain about Moses, who he loved. How in the world is Caleb going to listen to the complaints and the murmur and the backbiting? How is he going to remain faithful in a group of people who have done everything but be faithful to the Lord? And the way that Caleb is going to be faithful is that in the midst of carnality and immaturity and weakness and wickedness, Caleb's heart is never going to stay in the wilderness. It's always going to be in Canaan. He's going to have to trudge through deserts and difficulties and obstacles and setbacks. But the desert isn't going to make him bitter. The desert is going to make him better. And there's a mountain near Hebron. And Caleb's going to endure the wilderness. Because he knows he has an inheritance. He knows that when God made a promise to him. That God was going to keep his promise. And make no mistake about it. You're surrounded by people. Who are going to constantly remind you. Is the Bible true? Are the promises of God true? 
Remember how you talk about this Jesus who loves you and how he died for you, how he forgives your sin, how he cleanses your heart, how he makes you a new creation, how he promises you heaven. There are going to be people who are going to face giants of unbelief and giants of pain and giants of disease and giants of disaster and giants of difficulties. Caleb wants to go back to the place that scared everybody to death and where they would, would refuse to listen to God. The wholehearted devotion of Caleb can be summed up in a single word, obedience. We are obedient to Christ because of the indwelling presence of Jesus in our lives. In Galatians 2.20 it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But guess what? When you're guided by fear, sometimes fear is the only voice that you hear. When you're guided by pain, sometimes pain is the only voice that you can listen to and the only voice that you can hear. Caleb's faith is the kind of faith that refuses to set aside grace. Caleb's faith is simple. It's a simple response to a promise that's been given by the word of God. Now, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know what? I was 16 years old when I received Christ as my Savior. When Caleb is speaking here, he said, I was 40. Now I'm 85. 45 years have gone by. I got saved when I was 16 years old. I'm 61. 44 years have gone by. 44 years ago. I heard a passage of scripture in John chapter 11 where Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, even if he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. 44 years ago, I believed that Jesus could bring dead people back to life. That he could resurrect a dead heart. That he could change a dead person. That he could give me life and give me love and give me meaning. It says, look what it says in verse 9. So Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. Because you wholly followed the Lord my God. Remember, you were given a promise and you believed the promise and you never gave up the promise. You never gave up hope. You never gave up faith. You've always believed. The Lord promised a land. The Lord promised a land that could be occupied by faith, but it would also have to be occupied by action. God promised the land, but the children of Israel were going to have to step into the land. They were going to have to put their foot on the ground, and they were going to have to walk in the area that was assigned to them. And you'll remember, this is an area occupied by people who are already there and who don't want to leave, just like you. In your Christian life. Remember when God called you to be a Christian. When he called you to set aside your sin. And to embrace Jesus as your savior. And there were things in your life that said. I don't want that to go away. I I want selfishness and sin to be a part of my life. And then you remembered something. That that wasn't going to be your life. That that isn't the life that God had assigned for you. The children of Israel are going to have to walk the land. They're going to have to occupy the land. And the promise is secured not by walking away from the promise, but by walking to the promise and following the Lord with all of your heart. The peers of Joshua and Caleb did not wholly follow the Lord. Their lives were marked by compromise, by rebellion, by inconsistency. Only Joshua and Caleb remained 
committed. And they had the courage to see it through. The good news, even though compromise may have been a part of your life, a part of your past, maybe you haven't wholly followed the Lord. Maybe there have been times of doubt and difficulty and setback for you. But I'm here to tell you that real faith, the commitment of faith and the courage of faith can bring you to a place of humility and submission and dependence. And look at the confession of faith of Caleb in verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive as he said. Remember? 45 years earlier, I'm going to make a promise to you. You're going to inherit the land, and I'm going to give you this. It's going to be your inheritance for you and for your children. And look what he says. He said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. The dude's 85 years old. But he's remembered. Every moment of every month of every year, Caleb reminds Joshua of a promise made 45 years earlier. That's Numbers chapter 14, verses 24. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 34 through 36. Think about this for just a moment. The promise was made 45 years earlier. There's no statute of limitations on God's promises. They don't expire. They don't go stale. Well, you know, the Bible says in the New Testament this and that. And the Bible talks about Jesus. And the Bible talks about his love. And the Bible talks about forgiveness. And the Bible talks about hope. And the, God, the Bible makes these promises. But guess what? The promises don't go stale. The promises don't say, well, you know, that was given thousands of years ago. And you can no longer claim those promises. Caleb's confession of faith is... Behold, the Lord's kept me alive. God kept me alive. Now, I'm going to suggest to you something. Caleb is giving glory and honor and praise to the Lord. He's not appealing to his wholehearted devotion and obedience. We are kept alive by God's grace so that we can bear testimony to God's faithfulness. And you've been kept alive by God's grace so that you could bear witness to his faithfulness. God has brought you to this place. God has kept you alive. And by the way, if you're alive and you're listening, this is true. And if you're dead, you can ignore this part of the message if you're dead. The Lord promised that he would keep Caleb alive during the years of wilderness wandering and that they would receive an inheritance in the land. He's 85 years old. Now, I want you to think about this. But even though he's 85 years old, he doesn't ask for some easy task that's appropriate for his age. He doesn't ask for an inheritance that's easy or safe. He doesn't say, Josh, give me a little stretch of land along the beach so that I can have a rocking chair. Guess what? The, the best part of my life is over with. He doesn't say that. Look with the courage of faith in verse 11. Look what he says. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going in and for coming in. Caleb claims he has the strength that he had when he was 40 years old. He's saying, do you remember when you sent me in here 45 years ago? I was tough and I was strong and I was willing to confront them then and I'm willing to confront them now. Think about this. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my, it's my strength. Caleb's strength is the strength of Moses. Caleb's health of body seems linked to his spiritual health. The secret of courage in the Christian life for warfare and witnessing is 
walking with the Lord, wholly devoted to the Lord, submitted to the Lord, giving yourself to the Lord. You walk with him, you love him, you serve him, you have friendship and fellowship with him. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Beloved, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Caleb is basically saying, the same heart that I had towards God then, I have towards God now. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We fellowship with the Lord with a heart absent condemnation. We look at the faces of the people of the Lord and we give faithful testimony concerning the reality of who God is and what God has done. And you're never too young and you're never too old to be able to testify to the faithfulness of God and to the promises of God and to the reality of who he is and what he's done. And look at the company of faith at the beginning of verse 12. It says, Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. Look at Caleb's remarkable request. Give me the mountain. What? Give me the place where the giants are strongest. Give me the place where they are entrenched and fortified. You give me the inheritance that everyone else refuses because of fear to embrace. Do you know what the mountain that he's asking for? He's asking for the mountain that caused everyone in terror to turn away from God and to turn away from the promises of God. You know what it would be like? It would be like, give me Islam. Give me the place where people are cutting people's heads off and crucifying children. Send me to India, the dark subcontinent where God is rejected. Send me to Littleton, Colorado, where people hate God and despise his word and reject his promises. Send me to a place where people say, I don't want God and I don't care about God and I don't need God and I don't want God. This is the place occupied by giants. Now, again, think about this. Caleb says, give me the place that's caused everyone else to want to give up. Give up on God. Quit. Stop. And this is what's interesting. Because for some of us, remember, God doesn't guarantee you a life that's pain-free or problem-free or difficult-free. Well, I thought when I became a Christian, you would surround me with people who believe exactly like I believe. No. Hey, I thought when I became a Christian, I would have no more pain in my life. I would have no more suffering in my life. I would have no more difficulty in my life. Why is that a problem? Because pain and suffering and difficulty and unbelief will often, like giants, cause people to turn away from God turn away from grace, turn away from the Bible. Caleb still saw things through the eyes of faith. Remember, we sang that in worship. Lord, give me the eyes of faith so I can see the world the way that you see the world. Caleb still sees the world through the eyes of faith. He refuses to look simply at the way things are outwardly. And the joy of the Lord is Caleb's strength. And the past promise can lead to present victories. Caleb is basically saying, the Lord promised me an inheritance in the past. I'm taking it. I'm claiming it. For myself and for my children. Do you realize, of course, that your inheritance is occupied by giants? I know. 
Caleb felt he could do anything, that he could be anything, that he could defeat anyone and anything because of the presence of the Lord in his life. It's the joy of the Lord and the promise of God. This is bold faith. This is comforting faith. This is encouraging faith. Now we read this and we're not naive. Not everyone like Caleb at 85 can say, you know what, at 85, I'm just as strong as I was at 45. Hey, guess what? I'm 61 and I'm not as strong as I was at 45. At least not outwardly. I have a new knee. It has new knee smell. (laughs) The Bible says that the outward person is perishing. But the inward person is being renewed day by day. Yeah, my hair is a little bit grayer. My skin is a little more wrinkled. My voice is just a little bit weaker. My step is just a little bit slower. But wrinkled doesn't mean ruined. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. The promises of God remain true. When you're old, can you still claim that God's love is real and God's mercies are real and God's forgiveness are real? We're never too old to face new conquests of faith in the power of the Lord by his spirit. We, like Caleb, can climb mountains, conquer giants as we wholly follow the Lord. Some of us might think, well, I'm getting too old for this spiritual warfare business. But guess what? You're never, ever too old to confront the enemies of God and of Christ. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our weapons aren't carnal. They're spiritual. There's invisible forces that we're working at. And so by faith, we pray for people who disagree with us. By faith, we minister to them and we love them and we tell them the truth. We, like Caleb, can climb the mountain and conquer the giant and wholly follow the Lord. Wiersbe says, quote, no matter how old we become, we must never retire from trusting and serving the Lord. You don't have to ever retire from trusting and serving the Lord. You don't ever have to retire from believing the truth about God. And look at the confidence of faith at the end of verse 12. It says, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Caleb's confidence isn't wishful thinking or an idle boast or a spiritual presumption. Caleb has the divine promise that was given to Joshua in chapter 3, verse 10. Remember, it says, and Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and he will be with you, and he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. You have the promise of God. This is what Jesus said. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. I will always be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. What if if things get really painful? I'll, I'll be with you. What if they become terrifying? I'll be with you. What if someone pulls a gun on me? I'll be with you. What if someone, what if you get a diagnosis of an illness? I'll be with you. What if everyone around me abandons Christ and Christianity? I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. How do we know if we're dealing with faith or if we're dealing with presumption? Faith acts on God's authority. Presumption acts on self-authority. Paul doesn't say, I can do anything I want. He says, I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. Faith always requires. 
this is what God has said. This is what God has said about my life, about my circumstance, about my family, about my future. Self-confidence is man acting apart from God. Biblical faith is acting in cooperation with the word of God and the promises of God. And look at the compensation of verses 13 and 14. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jepunah, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jepunah, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. You know what we have every reason to believe? He went there and he kicked major giant flesh. And look what it says. And the name of Ebron, formerly Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Ebron, they changed the name. Put the map back up, James. Do you see where Ebron is? Just go where it says, is Ebron listed on the map right there? If you go to where Jerusalem is, maybe you have a map in the back of your, of your Bible. If you go down, Hebron is the place where Abraham is buried. Hebron is the place where Isaac and Jacob are buried. Hebron is a word that means fellowship. Caleb's faith is rewarded. He is given Fellowship. That's the name of his land. We might call that Caleb's ranch. Fellowship with the Lord is the compensation of faith. What is the compensation? What's the reward of faith? You get to have fellowship with the Lord. We walk by faith. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The compensation of faith is friendship with God and fellowship with God and conversation with God and intimacy with God. He's blessed by Joshua. And then he's given Ebron. And look at the gift of rest. Look what it says in verse 15. Then the land had rest from war. We discover something in the Bible. That rest is more than just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of peace. I want you to think about what you just read. The wandering Jew wanders no more. The rest of Israel becomes a type and a symbol of the spiritual rest that is given by God to the believer, when you come into a right relationship with Christ, you are given rest. This is the rest of confidence. This is the rest of hope, of security, of purpose, of peace, of fulfillment, of satisfaction. Faith in Christ means that you get a true rest, a real rest. This is the rest that is given to you that makes a provision for this life and the next life. What happens when all of a sudden you discover the truth about Jesus and you? You mean in Jesus I have forgiveness of sin? Yeah. You mean in Jesus I have hope and life? Yes. You mean in Jesus I don't have to fear death? Yes. You mean in Jesus, I get a satisfying answer for my soul about the problem of sin and that heaven is a real place and that life is worth living, but it isn't the only thing that's worth living. Scholars and Christians have found many wonderful ways to define faith, but all definitions in the end have to include this definition. Whatever else faith is, it's saying yes to Jesus. This is what Caleb does. He says yes to the promises of God.
He says yes to the man of God. He says yes to the word of God. He stakes his claim in faith. He has, he's consecrated in his faith. He confesses his faith in verse 10. He has the courage of faith in verse 11. He has the company of faith in verse 12. He has the confidence of faith at the end of verse 12. He has a compensation for his faith at the end of verses 13 and 14. And now, just very quickly, faith requires the consent of the will. Faith requires you to say, I believe that what God has said about Jesus is true. Remember the believer's inheritance. For the children of Israel, it's the land. For you, it's Christ. For Caleb, his confidence never ceased, verse 10. His strength never failed, verse 11. And his God never forgot him, in verse 13. Do you want the kind of confidence that never ceases? Do you want the kind of strength that never fails? Do you want to have access to the Lord who says, I remember you. I remember you said yes to Jesus. You said yes to his love. You said yes to his presence. You said yes to him that you would love him and serve him and follow him into the future. Because all of the promises of God and Jesus are yes and amen. Chapter 14. See, I told you, it would teach itself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, we know that in Jesus, our confidence need never cease. Lord, we know that in Jesus, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That we have access to an indescribable reservoir. And that, Lord, you will never, ever forget the saints who know you, who love you, who serve you, and who are faithful to you. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be our reward. That like Caleb, we would long for the kind of faith that says, give me the mountain. Give me that place. Give me the inheritance that everyone else is afraid of. That causes other people to give up and turn away. Lord, give me the mountain where the giants live. So that I can prove the truth of your faithfulness. And your love. And that you're a God who makes promises and keeps promises. In Jesus' name, amen.